you start to hear a lot of people talk about their win rates going down oh, and down. Oh, please. Down. That's because they got too much in the pipeline. That's right. Flush that toilet. That, that could be the title of the new book, Flush That Toilet. That could be. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Howard Brown, CEO and founder of Revenue.io. Today, we're going to have Richard Harris back again. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you. Always good to see you, Howard. Richard is a old friend. He is founder of the Harris Consulting Group and co-founder of Surf and Sales. And we're going to talk a lot about why someone needs a sales consultant, what to look for in a sales consultant, and how do you know whether or not your sales consultant is helping? So the question that I pose to you, Richard, is how do I know when I need a sales consultant? Um, well, the answer to that question is a true consultant is always, right? Um, people don't like to hear that. It sounds like a total consulting thing. This is what I tell people all the time. A consultant, a good consultant, will do two things. One, they'll help you shift your mind if that's what's needed. Or they'll confirm what you've already considered as your hypothesis. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and I've turned them away because they've told me, you know, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And, and they'll be like, well, what's next, Richard? And I said, well, the next thing is you need to go out and actually try and sell. <laughs> like, I can help you. I can help you with that, but I'm not going to come in and tell you you've done it all wrong, you know? And so to a certain extent, I've legitimized their hypotheses enough for them to go out and find the next thing. Mm -hmm. So... That's the key thing that people need to understand is that consultants are there to help and support you and they will either shift you and shift your focus appropriately and or they will confirm that what you've been doing all along is right and there's nothing wrong with paying for that if that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And even in those instances where you have been doing it all right, there's all these little things in the cracks that someone like me comes along and, and can support or go, oh, don't forget about this or don't forget about this. So we sort of help people not stub their toe as opposed to, you know, making sure they don't break their leg, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and both have value to an organization. So that's one answer. The other answer is when you feel the need to grow and your sales team isn't doing it, this is the best way. Like people ask me, you know, what do I do? And I don't tell them what I do. I tell them the pains we solve. Mm -hmm. and the pain I solve is, teaching reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when. Mm. And immediately everybody in, who's run a revenue team knows exactly what that looks like. They have a picture of somebody on their team. They know what it sounds like because they've heard it. And then they have this amazing pain like NyQuil, sniffling, sneezing, coffee head, stuffy head, achy, so you could rest medicine. And that's where I come in, right? I'm the DayQuil version of that. <laughs> and that's not NyQuil. I don't want to put people to sleep. That's when you know, when you know you're not asking the right questions, when you know your team's afraid, and it could be unintentional fear. It doesn't mean that they're unwilling. It just means they haven't been taught or they don't know. That to me is where I see it. Mm -hmm. And yes, it all gets baked into the, well, we didn't hit our goal. Well, that could be a whole other discussion. That could be because you had shitty leaderships giving shitty goals during a shitty economy, right? Like that's, that's not the problem. The problem is, are we asking the right questions to get our pipeline cleaned up yeah. to get rid of all the dead stuff that's in our pipeline. So again, another long answer, but that's, that's how I tell people to look at it. 
no, the long answers are helpful. Um, so just like most of us are trained to buy, right? Correct. We, we meet with sellers and hopefully a seller's job includes helping us make a purchase decision, right? So as a sales leader, and there's a lot of them listening today, how do I shop for a sales consultant? What, what should I be looking for? What should I be thinking about? Yeah. So there, there's a couple of things. So one, I want to, I want to go back and, and double down on something. You're right. We're not taught how to buy. We're taught how to consume. Mm -hmm. We are consumer driven, no matter what it is. Everything gets commoditized, even if it's a $200,000 purchase. Oh, it's just like blank. Right. Well, maybe not entirely. Right. I think the best thing to find the right consultant is one, you talk to several. Mm -hmm. You often, you know, I'm the one who says, look, if I can't help you, Howard, I'll tell you. Once I understand your pains, if I can't solve them, Howard, I can't help you. But I'll tell you three people you should talk to because we all know our swim lanes, right? People come to me and they're like, hey, Richard, can you teach our team how to do better PowerPoint presentations? Well, I can. I can go research it and put together something like ChatGPT and teach your team. But it's not my wheelhouse, right? It's not my, it's not my most favored nation status thing to teach. But I do know two other people who, and that's where their sweet spot is if you want to talk to them. Mm -hmm. so I'd rather do that. And that, to me, is an indication of someone you either want to hire or trust because they're not going to BS. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I say this all the time. I'll, and I'll, you know, how, how big is your sales team right now? Uh, how many people? 12. 12. Do you have at least one grumpy Gus on the team? Besides me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So if I were, you were thinking about hiring me, I'd be like, Howard, let me talk to grumpy Gus. Why don't you tell grumpy Gus to come talk to me? And tell them that, hey, go give Richard a sniff test. Go see if he's the kind of guy we need. Mm. And then, and I would say to you, Alan, when you bring me Gus, I'm going to tell Gus the following. One, Gus, I'm not going to try and change everything you do. Like, you've been here a long time. You know what you're doing. You've been through 12 trainings in your lifetime. I, you know, I, I don't need to, to do that. I hope maybe you'll get some nuggets. Like, you know, you've been around enough to know you might get some nuggets. But what I want from you, Gus, is I'd love your support of, calling me out if I say something that doesn't make sense or it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And equally, I'd like for you to support something. If it does, like, you know, I want to hear your stories. I think that's, that's why you're here is you've got those wisdom that, 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 that the team can learn from. And then I'll ask Gus too, like, well, what do you think the team needs? Not you, Gus. What do you think the team needs? Cause Gus will tell me where all the bodies are buried, mm -hmm. right? He'll tell me where the challenges are. And so, that to me is how you know you found a good sales trainer because they want to talk to the team, the person who's going to use the training, not the leader who makes the decision about which trainer to use. So to me, that's my indication is make sure you include your team in the decision, mm -hmm. which by the way, Howard, you look like a genius because you brought in your grumpy Gus. Your grumpy Gus creates loyalty for you because you respected that person. You valued their opinion. You brought them in as part of the process. Maybe they've never been a part of a process. Maybe that's exciting to them. So there's all this goodwill that happens too when you bring the grumpy guff to the conversation. So that to me is how you choose. That's how you choose someone. If you have some of your sales team people give the trainer a sniff test. I love that answer. I've never heard anyone put it that way, and it makes perfect sense. What is the end user looking for? What is right. you know we we talk about ride-alongs, right? It's right. literally a ride-along with the end user. It makes perfect sense. And 
The reason I haven't heard it before in that way is I don't think a lot of people do it that way. And I appreciate the approach and it makes all the sense in the world. It's just like buying any product or service you want. There's a reason you do a proof of concept, right? Yep. I guess following that line of thinking, how do I assess whether or not it's working? I mean, we know that there are long sales cycles, so I'm not going to not going to figure it out if I got a if I got a 9-month sales cycle selling enterprise software and I bring a sales consultant in, I can't point immediately to revenue. I I might look at pipeline generation, but how do you know whether or not sales consulting is working? Well, this this is a scary answer people don't want to hear, right? Which is, uh, there are two things. So one, at least for me and how I train stuff, if I teach something on Monday, it's being used on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Like it's not that hard. It's not that complex, particularly if it's around the conversational skills, right? Respect contract, better open and closed ending questions, defining the exit criteria. So one thing is, You'll, you'll hear it immediately, at least for me. The second thing is, by the time someone gets out of my training, they finally realize they have crap in the pipeline. In fact, this is what I tell everybody to do. I tell everybody, go clone your opportunity dashboard starting on the day after which it shows up, right? Exact same dashboard, just have the start date be the day after. And then, at some point in my training, because we'll get there quickly, I will tell everybody on the team that they have to kill every deal that's more than twice the average sales cycle, yes. right? So if you have a 60-day sales cycle and you got something in there for 120 days, kill it. Because all you're doing is leaving it there as a reminder to call somebody. Go use your CRM the right way. Clear out the dead weight. Stop looking at a closet full of nothing to wear. That's the key piece. Stop looking at a closet full of nothing to wear. So how's it working? Because Richard just cleaned out your pipeline, right? And he just made your forecast that much more accurate. So your accuracy goes up, but your revenue potential might go down. And that scares the crap out of everybody. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing that's going to happen is that scares everybody. I'm like, well, wait, what do you, this is what you want. You don't want unqualified stuff. Now we might go in and find ways to requalify those, but that's, those are the first two things. One, you're going to hear it the next day. And two, you're going to clean out all that dead weight in your pipeline, mm-hmm. period. And you don't even need Richard for that. Everybody listening could go, everybody go kill everything. That's a more than double your average sales cycle. By the way, you can keep it if you get a note, if you get a note from the Pope or from Richard Harris. If you call Richard and he tells you you can keep it, that's it. So that's one thing. Now, the real issue there, though, is that everybody points the fingers to the sales team because there's too much crap in the pipeline. And I go, hold on, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You're running that team you're doing a crappy job of pipeline reviews mm-hmm. and it's your job to teach them how to pipeline stuff the right way. So no, 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 no. It's not their fault of shorts. And none of this, Hey, it's a mutual thing. And we're all in the boat together. We're both rowing. Blah, 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 blah. No, you just try to point blame at somebody. No, you can't do that. Blame yourself. Don't try to mitigate your blame because all of a sudden you just got called out on your own crappy leadership. So there's my answer. Yeah, it's. Uh, I could see why people would be a bit scared. Certainly, you know, getting rid of that that pipeline. Everybody reports that pipeline. Look at the pipeline growth. You know, we we have a closed percentage against that pipeline. But it's just gonna go through the roof. You got rid of all yeah. the shit. Now it's gonna go through the roof. That's what you want. 
Yeah. And you start to hear a lot of people talk about their win rates going down oh, and down. Oh, please. Down. That's because they got too much shit in the pipeline. That's right. Right. Flush that toilet. <laughs> that, that could be the title of the new book. Flush that toilet. That could be. <laughs> I will tell you, it's funny story, Howard. Last week, someone had me on their podcast and they're like, Richard, I started following you like five or six years ago because you made this video on LinkedIn, you know, allegedly sitting in the bathroom and you flushed the toilet behind you to clean out the pipeline. Yeah. And I forgot I had made that video. So now that's twice. Apparently it's now in my subconscious that I have to tell this story on a regular basis about flushing the, the pipeline. Well, it's, it, it's a good one. And by the way, the other one, which I relate to is I am so much crap in my closet yeah. that I haven't worn. I know there's that rule. If you haven't worn it in a year, yep. I think I have stuff that I haven't worn in 15 years. And I've, oh, I know I've got clothes older than my kids. Believe me. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's like, I'm going to break out the college t-shirt and wear it to the one football game I go to. So I need to hang on to it. Yeah. It's fascinating. So oh, you, you mentioned respect contract. Can you, uh -huh. can you dive into that and tell me a little bit of what that is? Yeah. So respect contracting is just that basic, how do you begin a conversation? And you can have varying types of respect contracts. You can have one at a first call. You could have it at a second or third call. You could have it for a demo call. You could have it for a customer kickoff call for customer success, but it's, it's essentially identifying, you know, how much time we have for the call being respectful to that, making sure you set up a timeout with five minutes left to go so you can do a, a nice recap and not do the, what I call doorknob exit of, oh yeah, I'll email you next week to set up our next meeting, right? I want to make sure there's there's concrete next steps. Identifying the very specific topics each party wants to talk about, acknowledging that if it's not a good fit, let's acknowledge that by either party, kind of like what I was saying earlier, that was part of the end of my respect contract where I I said, you know, we all know our swim lanes. I'll point you in the right direction. And then creating a social contract that, that we all agree to this. And then finally having a transition statement. You know, so I've, I've had this respect contract and, and now I transition into sales. But I, I title it this way because it's about self-respect. It's not just about respecting my prospect. Of course I respect my prospect, but I need to be self-respectful to myself <laughs> and try to reduce some of that anxiety and fear that I have when I go in as a salesperson, because we already know we go into it as a conversation with a salesperson and people are already thinking negatively about us. Right. You know, and, and so there, you know, there are two main uh, writings that, that I talk about with this. One is, you know, the very first theoretically written traditional business discussion was a land deal. Right. And it's from Adam and Eve. Right. It was the land deal. And there was a con, there was a respect contract. If you do this, this will happen. And if you do this, that will happen. So this was the original respect contract. And then the other, you know, literary reference I make often is, is the grapes of wrath. And there's a whole chapter about the Joe family having to buy a car to go over to California to chase this dream. And there's a whole chapter about how swarmy this car salesperson is, how horrible they are at lying about the tires and the engine and it'll last this long and it doesn't and blah, 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 all this stuff. And to me, I feel like that's the first time, for lack of a better phrase, in modern history that we heard a story about a negative car salesperson. Ugh. And I think because everybody's read that book, or at least they used to always read that book, that's where a piece of this negative used car salesperson came about. I don't know that I'm right. That's just my hypothesis. So those respect contracts come from that for me. Like 
understanding how to battle those two pieces together and put them together to make it less painful for everybody, not just the sales rep, but the, but the, the customer and the prospect as well. Getting biblical with Richard Harris. I love yeah. it. Right. The, the Jew with two tattoos, right? Getting biblical, right? So That's unbelievable. So we started talking about generative AI and how there's a fear that uh, machines will replace us, but self-respect, respect for others, respect contract, those are things that are critical to human relationships that you know whether i'm selling something or not we enter into respect contracts every time we meet hopefully and we connect with other people so richard thank you so much thank you thank you for having me thanks again for joining us this week don't forget to like and subscribe and we'll see you next week